Save your tears for another day. Hello, this is Rish Outfield, and you're listening to the Rish Outcast. Outcast. I thought that I would share this just with the Patreons, the Patreon supporters, but as I got into it, as I started talking and I realized that I had been talking for 15 minutes and I had more to say, I thought, well, you know what, I might as well make this an episode. Because if it's interesting to the Patreon supporters, then it will be interesting to you. But I have no guarantee that it's interesting to the Patreon supporters. But I I would like you to support me on Patreon, even if it's just $1 per episode. Uh, And lately, I only get about two episodes out a month. So it's not that much. If you can spare it, I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give the Patreons an extra story, which is either more of a good thing or uh, it just extends the torture. 45 minutes of listening to Rish Outfield to an hour of listening to Rish Outfield. But I've got some stuff I want to talk to you about. Actually, I kind of envy you because you get the most complete report on this instead of just regular listeners. I'm in traffic right now, but I am just leaving the set of a Hallmark movie, a Hallmark Channel movie. It is a Christmas movie that doesn't air until December, is my guess. But this is for you. I I got to feel like Gino Moretto for the first time. So I was a smooth, handsome, bald-headed bastard that the ladies just couldn't get enough of. Oh, it was, well, it was was intimidating, actually. No, uh, the reason I felt like Gino Moretto is that it is the last day of April, the hottest day of the year, and it was Christmas. Today and yesterday I worked on this movie, and it was rough today, but put a pin in that. We will talk about that in just a moment. For now, I am hoping that the sound quality isn't too terrible. So I've rolled up all my windows, I've turned on the air conditioner, but I have no space left on my recorder, so I'm forced to do that thing where I'm using the the lowest quality recording setting. And I have had that bite me on the butt in the past, and then there have been times when I was like, no, I can't tell the difference. So months ago, back in January, I booked work on a TV series, and I was happy to be able to go back. It's always fun to be on a set. It's one of the things that I enjoy. It's nice to be paid, usually to read, but lately, since I write every single day, I feel like, you know, I'm being paid to write as well. And the day before uh, I was to work, they sent a message and they said, you know, everybody is going to be COVID tested. So if you've had COVID in the last 90 days, then you can't work on it. Just, you know, you don't want to get a, a, a positive test. And so I called the casting agent and it's the guy that doesn't like me. And I say that he doesn't like me 
which doesn't narrow it down, does it? Thank you, Big Anklevich. How are you listening to what I'm saying? You're not a Patreon supporter. I called him and I said, hey, I had COVID in December. Is that going to be a problem? And he's like, oh, yeah, you can't work for 90 days, man. And I said, but well, but it's January. You mean 90 days from when I had it? And he's just like, no, you can't work for 90 days. I don't know what would have happened if I had driven up there and had the COVID test, but it would have been better than what did happen, which was I was not blacklisted. Let's say I was gray listed for 90 days. And I may still be gray listed with that casting agent, in which case if I am, then that's a blacklist. I always got the impression he didn't like me and that makes me not like him. Well, that's petty, I guess, but that's how I feel. Anyway, uh, this week or last week, we started getting emails about a Hallmark movie that was shooting. I think it was last week. And I was going to sign up for it, and I got to the point in the email where it said, must be clean-shaven. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be clean-shaven. I haven't seen my face in two years, two and a half years, three years maybe. I like the beard. It is who I am. And so I didn't submit myself. But then I saw an email and it didn't say anything about being clean shaven. And it was for this week. So I, I submitted myself, which basically means I sent them a picture of my face and a picture of my body. Well, my torso and up. It was a different casting agent than I usually go through. And I got through the questionnaire or whatever, you know. And it said, are you willing to be clean shaven? And the three options were yes, no, and other. And so I put other. I said, I currently have a beard. And I would rather not shave it if it is an option. But I'd like to work and I will shave if necessary. So I, I, that's yes, but... I felt like I was giving myself an out if they decided. I didn't understand the Cleveland Shaven thing. And let me cut to the chase. Basically, this movie takes place in Salt Lake City, Utah. And apparently in Salt Lake, nobody has a beard. It's a sin. So I submitted and they got back to me and I was going to have to go up and take a COVID test. So I did. I had to drive 90 minutes, which is a bit of a pain. But I went to some stores afterward to try and make up for it. Uh, when I was there, they gave me a little cup and they said, spit in this until it reaches the black line. That seems strange to me, but I've talked to other people. Is that, oh, yeah, you do that all the time. The COVID test that I had had last year was... I'm going to stick this thing into your brain, through your nostril, and uh, it's going to hurt. But the next day I got a result back from my test, and that meant I would be working, and so I had to shave. And it took a long time. First, I just used the clippers to shave myself down to stubble, which would have been fine. I would have been happy to stop there. But... 
then I had to, to, to shave it all off. And I didn't recognize myself. I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, wow, that is a weird looking person. And then later I went into the bathroom and I saw myself in the mirror and I thought it was my uncle, my uncle George. Apparently the shape of my face has changed enough that I look like a different person. And then later in the day I was walking through, I think I was walking up the stairs and there was a mirror there. And I glanced myself walking up the stairs and I thought, oh my gosh, my mom, what is she doing here? So that's interesting. Ish. I, I, <laughs> okay, it's not interesting at all. But anyway, uh, we're working on this movie and it is a Christmas movie. And it was warm yesterday. It was about 75 degrees, 76 degrees. And we all had to have like winter coats on. I had gloves that I was supposed to wear and of course long sleeved shirts and it was warm. The sun was shining and luckily there was a breeze through almost the whole day and it made it bearable. And I heard somebody say, you know, you think this is bad. It's supposed to be 80 degrees tomorrow. And I didn't pay any attention to it because I wasn't working tomorrow. So it was shot on the streets and in an alley, and they had decorated the streets and the alley for Christmas. So there were lights, there were trees, there were snowflake decorations. And then the biggest thing was they had covered up all of the plant life with white felt. And then they covered the felt with this white foam like soap foam, bath foam. And it was in this dispenser, this neat machine that was hooked up to a water truck. And the water truck was on the street. And they also used the water truck to wet down the pavement. Uh, and I understood it at night because it made everything really reflective. And it made like the Christmas light sparkle all the more. It was like suddenly they had doubled their amount of light. I get that. In, in most movies you see that take place at night, they have wet down the pavement or the roads. And once you notice it, it's hard to unnotice it. But there were spring tulips coming up in several planters. And so what they did is that they put this foam with the dispenser on the tulips until they were completely covered up. And as the minutes went by, the foam would dissolve. And so these prop people would have to come by and spray on new foam. And the same prop people would have to hose down the sidewalk as it, as it dried up. And it looked like foam up close, but I got to see the monitors a couple of times and through the monitors, it looked like snow. Remarkably like snow. You wouldn't even blink and say, is that fake? You would just say, oh yeah, that's snow. And so I thought that that was neat. And basically the scene was that there was a band giving a Christmas recital or performance. And they were all tuba players. And so there were extras there that were there to play the tuba. Whether they actually knew how to play the tuba or not, that was their part. And then there were extras like me that were just walking around. They were shoppers, they were pedestrians, uh, what they call crossers in the biz. 
meaning we just cross in the background so that there's motion, so that you see that there are people, even if you don't pay any attention to the people, even if we are indistinct blurs, it gives the impression that it is a populated world. Nobody ever pays any attention to the extras. And here's the thing, if you do pay attention to the extras, then that usually means the filmmakers have not done their job. The, the, the assistant directors, the people that are in charge of the extras, haven't done their job because we're not supposed to distract from what's going on unless it's an extra playing like hot chick. You know, a hot chick walks by and the principals notice and gawk at her. Lenny and Squiggy do that thing they do with their, uh, where they bite their knuckles. The girl that walked by is an extra, but she was supposed to draw the eye. And, and a lot of times, those, uh, those extras that are a pretty girl walks by, naked girl walks by, you know, buff dude in a speedo walks by, the people like that that draw attention to themselves are paid extra. It's called a bump. A bump is any salary hike, any, any, any bit of extra money that they pay you. In L.A., there were all these fun bumps. If there was smoking on the set, you would get a bump. If there was makeup involved, other than, you know, just regular makeup, there, you'd get a bump. If they had to cut your hair, you'd get a bump. And I enjoyed the bumps because I was poor. And I, I could use every dime. I couldn't afford to get a haircut when I was working as an extra. I would just hope that I got booked in some production where they would cut my hair. Because not only would I get a free haircut, but they would pay me for cutting my hair. And it, it worked. I, I, I remember there being at least a year where that's how I got my haircut. They did it for me. Anyhow, uh, these tuba players had to cart around these great big tubas. And they're reflective brass. And so they would heat up with the sun. And uh, they were heavy. And so... They hopefully got a bump for that, like a prop bump. But I bet you any amount of money they did not. We're not in Los Angeles. There's no union looking out for the extras. There's nobody looking out for the extras here. And we'll put a pin in that as well, because I'll come back to that later. An extra's job is to just add motion and populate the scene, make it seem like there are other people besides just the ones that we are watching. And when something like the Star Wars Cantina, by the way, where all of those characters that were not Greedo, were not Wu Her the bartender, and wasn't Dr. Evazin, the he doesn't like you guy, all of those are extras. But the fact that you go, oh my gosh, look at that guy, and look at that guy, and look at that guy. Those are aliens, and so it's fine that you notice them. The, the, the ADs are doing their jobs when you watch that and go, oh, I wish I could pause it so I could look again and just check out all of these aliens. I've talked before about working as an extra, and spoiler alert, I think I'll do it again and again because I've got some really interesting stories that I wouldn't mind sharing with it seems that it's an interesting enough profession to outsiders that you can appreciate 
my stories. I have always enjoyed listening to other extras tell of their stories. It's usually a bad experience story that you hear because nobody wants to hear about a good experience that you had because you're a stranger. But remind me in the future to tell other stories because they're good ones. Uh, just today on the set, I was talking to extras about fun times that I had had. And yesterday I was telling the story of working on the X-Files and being like this inbred hillbilly type that was trying to kill Scully and how fun that was. Uh, we did not succeed, unfortunately. Chalk one up to the, uh, the good guys there. The, the, the job that we had today and yesterday was just crossers, which means you walk in the background or occasionally the foreground and that's it. You can have hundreds of crossers or you can have very, very few. And yesterday on the set, there were 30 of us. And that included the tuba players. After the tuba scenes, they got to just be regular pedestrians and join us in that. And by then, I think there were about 25 of us. And because there were so few of us, we worked a lot. Basically, I worked from the moment that they brought some of us onto the set until we were wrapped for the night. And it was a long day. But having said that, oh gosh, do I dare say this? I, I guess I do. It really always bothers me when I will hear actors complain about long days. Oh, on that shoot, we worked 15-hour days. It's like, oh yeah, that TV series, it was always a 12-hour day, no matter what. When I hear an actor say that, I, I roll my eyes because no actor works a 12-hour day or a 15-hour day unless they are also the director. What actors do is they come on the set at the very last possible moment when they are needed to shoot. And then they go to their trailer or they have a cushy chair with their name on it. Or if it's a really cheap production, they just have a chair and they go and they sit on that chair until they are needed again. They can read, they can sleep, they can be on their phone. They can exercise, they can sleep, they can watch television, they can sleep. The people who are on the set most of the time are the extras and the stand-ins. The stand-ins are the ones that have to just stand around pretending to be the actors while they do the interminable camera setup, lighting setup. Okay, let's try the microphone. Okay, let's put a mark here. We're going to rehearse this, uh, walk here, stop, move your head, take two steps back. That is what the stand-ins do. And stand-ins are paid fairly well. Don't get me wrong. You can make a living as a stand-in. But the, here's the part where I was going to say, you know, I might get in trouble for having said this. So the, the actors are so coddled and so it's such a cushy position to be in. They do not work a 15-hour day, a 14-hour day, a 12-hour day, an 8-hour day. The crew are the ones working the 12, 14, 16, 
17-hour day. The crew are the people that set up the lights, that move all the props around, that run in, check everything, the wardrobe, the makeup, the hair, the continuity people. They used to call her a continuity girl. These people work all day and into the night. So yesterday was a very long shoot. It was a long day for me. It was a 14 hour day and I didn't know that was going to happen around lunchtime when they said, oh, we can't get anybody to work tomorrow. Would any of you like to volunteer to come back tomorrow? And so I and an older man and his daughter all volunteered. There were three of us. But had I known that yesterday would be a 14 hour day, and again, I was just an extra. I worked harder than the actors, but I did not work a 14 hour day. I did not work a 12 hour day. I read half of a Stephen King book. Does that make sense? But you know, I was gone and I was doing a lot of walking around. There were 30 of us, like I said, and at one point the small of my back started to hurt and I thought, oh no, you know, I ate something that didn't agree with me and this is the start of heartburn. But I noticed the people around me started rubbing their backs as well and it turned out it was just all of us from standing and waiting to be used, not walking so much as standing in one place for a long time your back starts to hurt. And there were some people that were given boots, put on some winter boots. There was a girl who had like high-heeled boots, which I, I, I don't know what they're for. They're probably just to look good, if that makes sense. But her feet started to hurt so badly that she took off her boots and she was just in her socks. And she would walk up and down the street in her socks. I'm sure she ruined the socks. But she couldn't stand wearing the boots anymore. It was like that Disneyland episode of Modern Family, where Gloria has only ever worn high heels and her husband tells her, hey, you don't want to wear those heels to Disneyland. And she's like, Jay, I wear what I like. I always wear the high heels. And then, you know, an hour into Disneyland, she's in excruciating pain. So he buys her these slippers and she puts them on and she has never felt such bliss. It was kind of kind of sweet. She's just so overwhelmed by how good those slippers feel. I, I dug that. Anyhow, we did a lot of, of walking. And because there were few of us, we always got used in every single shot. And there was one of those. It used to be a big deal. I remember when they did it on Forrest Gump. It was the first time that anybody had ever done this crowd replication thing. And when I lived in Los Angeles, we did it for... Uh, Sea Biscuit. We did it for Flags of Our Fathers. There were a couple of movies where you would be in a crowd and they would shoot you. They would shoot a plate and then you would have to move and they would shoot another plate and they would shoot another plate and then they would combine it all in the computer so it looked like there were thousands of people instead of however many there were. And they did that on this. I guess the technology has become so cheap and easy with the green screen 
that they took 25 of us, and it was probably fewer than that, let's say 20 of us, and they replicated us over and over again, as though we were a crowd watching the tuba players perform. And um, they said, think of something funny, and I thought of this commercial. <laughs> what are you doing? Here my present this year. And I, I started to laugh. And we had to do it over and over and over again. That's part of, that's the best part of waking up, really. No, it, it was just, it's part of being in the film business. There's, there's two things that they say over and over and over again. And one of them is hurry up and wait. I don't know if that comes from the military or if it comes from show business, but it applies to showbiz so much more even than the military. There's just so much. Okay, guys, 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 hurry, 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 get in place. And then you stand there and 15 minutes later, they have not yet used you. I'm trying to think of the last time that I talked to you about being an extra. And I remember talking to you a little bit about the difference between how extras are treated and how other people in the crew are treated. You know what? It was not even a year ago. It was during the Black Lives Matter protests that I brought this up because I knew what it was like to be treated like you were inferior and that you weren't even people. And I thought this is what a black person goes through every single day. You know, and, and I, I mentioned that there was an actress that would call extras cockroaches and um, that I was told, you know, you can't have water, things like that. We were not treated that badly in this case, but there is still a way that everyone on the crew is treated and then the way that ex extras are treated. And it must be intentional. It, it's a little bit like the caste system in India. How even if a lot of that stigma has gone away and the untouchables and the Brahmin and all this stuff has gone away, there are still people that feel that way and they teach their kids to feel that way and their kids teach their kids to feel that way. And it goes on and maybe it will die out one day, but it continues. And that's what happens with the extras. And well, we, we had a very long day and there were these kids on the set and I thought that there was only one kid but it turns out that anybody who is under 18 is a is a, a minor is a kid and you're my present this year no there was one bona fide child on the set and then his older brother and then a couple other like high school age kids and Oh, this was something that I meant to mention early on. Uh, so I've done extra work. Let's say a plus or minus 100 times. Probably plus. Because I did it for a living for over a year. Maybe once, maybe twice, have I ever gone to a set and there was no makeup or hair to look at the extras and do stuff for us. And 
yesterday and today was one of those times. And it was really surprising because I had just shaved the night before and then I'd washed my hair really, really good with shampoo and all that. And I, and I didn't really do anything to style it because I knew that hair would do that. And here it is. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe COVID has prevented hair and makeup from doing their job, which is highly unlikely. I'm just saying. There are still people who are paid to do hair and makeup. There were people who were paid to do wardrobe, to come over and look at all the extras and see what we were wearing and tell us what to wear for the next setup. Luckily, I had a comb and I was able to comb my hair, but it was not great. And then there are little marks on my face from where the... Oh, it's razor burn. From where, you know, my skin is not used to being shaved and the razor was probably not used to shaving. <laughs> and so there are little marks and pink and things like that. But one of these kids, a uh, really pretty girl, Let's say she's 15. Let's say she's 16. But she had just terrible skin. Ah, should I say terrible? She had noticeable acne. Oh, I don't want to sound mean. I, I Please take this with a grain of salt. Her acne was worse than mine ever was. And my guess is that normally you would make up over that. And having worked on a set before, her mother would say, well, they'll just paint over this. It's, it's fine. But they didn't. So she had just, yeah, uh, she had some makeup problems. Anyway, I guess the, the, the reason I mentioned that is that there were these minors on the set. And kids, depending on how young they are, can only work so many hours. The younger they are, the fewer the hours that they can work. I've, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. That's why they always employ twins when it's toddlers or children or infants is so that they can get twice as much time with the character as possible because they have two people playing that character. So call time was 9.30 in the morning for tuba players and 10 o'clock in the morning for pedestrians like me. And at about 9 o'clock at night, these kids, especially the actual child, started becoming really, really tired. And their dad was also on the set as their chaperone, and he, he started to complain. And eventually, somebody heard him complain, and they said, oh, oh, we got some kids on the set. Huh. Yeah, okay, I guess we'll send those home. But if he hadn't complained, they wouldn't have done anything. It's not a big deal. I, I, if it sounds like I'm complaining, I haven't gotten to the complaining. So we did this on a city street. The tuba stuff had all been in an alley. And it was an alley that they were able to cordon off and nobody would bother us. But later, we started working on an actual street with businesses open. And one of these businesses was a bar. And apparently, people go to a bar to drink. And then after they have drank, they want to disrupt the filming of a, of a movie, or to pick a fight. And that did happen. And I'll have to bleep this. Oh, it seems like I said something earlier that I should have bleeped. Why didn't I remember? But there was this guy 
And he started being really, really loud and really, really belligerent. And security, one of the security guys came up to him and just like, hey, we're just, we're trying to shoot a film here. And he goes, I don't give a about your movie. 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 And I can't do it as venomously and as ignorantly as this person did. But he got into a fight with another drunk person. And the other person was a woman, and she started screaming at him. And according to her, he had broken into her car and tried to steal her water bottle. So she went to security and was trying to get security to arrest the man and then was really furious when security says, well, no, you know, I, I can't arrest him. And she was screaming, you're just going to let him go. You're going to let him go. You're going to let him go. He broke into my car. He was taking my water. He's stealing my water bottle. He's trying to take my water bottle. And I guess when you're intoxicated or whatever was going on with these two people, you repeat yourself a lot. But as, as crass and vulgar and as much of an a-hole as this guy was, and he was, I started to feel like that maybe mentally there was something wrong with the woman. Because she was making a huge deal about the water bottle. And I feel like if a man had broken into your car, that the breaking in, the violation is what you would make a big deal about. But she was pitching a fit about the water bottle. And then she was upset that this, this officer was just going to let him go. Anyway, it disrupted shooting for a while. And, and they just had to sit and wait for this to go on. They weren't able to just close off the street. And I remember this in Los Angeles. Specifically, one time we were shooting CSI New York. And they couldn't close down the streets, so that there would just be civilians, pedestrians, looky-loos, whatever you want to call them, that would congregate and they wanted to be in the movie or they wanted to bother Gary Sinise. I remember some guy kept screaming, Captain Dan! Captain Dan! And finally Sinise said, it's Lieutenant Dan, to the guy, which I thought was pretty neat. Security can't really stop you from walking down the street, but they could stop you and say, just, just hold on for a minute while we're shooting. And people understand in Los Angeles, but here people don't understand. I don't give a f about your movie. I don't give a f about your movie. They just say they, they, they don't understand. They don't care. And, I, I, you know, it's partly like the mask people that, you know, it's like they, they are more upset that somebody is saying you have to do something than wearing the mask. The mask thing was pretty unpleasant, I have to admit. Especially once we were all bundled up in our winter garb, etc., etc. It, it, it started to be really rough and warm and unpleasant. And so by the end of the night, I didn't want to wear my mask anymore. And the deal was we had all had negative COVID tests. They, they took our temperature when we got there. We all had hand sanitizer that they kept giving us. We were supposed to stand six feet apart. But once it was time to shoot, all of that went out the window and we took off our masks. And the crew members never got to take off their masks. You know, just like 
we got to sit down when they were not shooting, when they sent us back. We got to take off our masks for part of it. The crew never got to take their masks off and the crew never got to sit down. They really, really worked. And, and so we worked uh, until about 11 o'clock at night. And then the crew had to strike the set, which means take down everything, all of the decorations and the trees and all that stuff. They had to load all of that up into trucks and then they had to transport it to wherever they were going to transport it and maybe unload it. Gosh, I hope not. But that is your 15-hour day, your 16-hour day. Those guys earned their money and, I, and my respect. I didn't want to work on it. I didn't want to work on the, the next day by the end of the night, mostly because I had things that I needed to do and I just, I, I, I didn't have time to do it. I'm doing this stupid thing where I write every single day or I exercise every, or, and I exercise every single day and I haven't had time to do that. And I would have to go to bed if I wanted to get a, a full night's sleep before I had to be on set the next morning. And so I, I felt like calling in sick or, or just not showing up for work the next day. And so what I did was I sent the casting agent an email saying, oh, you know, I just barely got home. It was a 14-hour day for me. I understand if you've already replaced me for tomorrow and, and that you can't use me. No harm done. I just barely got home. But uh, let me know if you still need me and if we're wearing the same clothes as today. And about an hour later, I got a reply of, yes, we still need you. Different clothes for tomorrow. But I have to admit that by the time that hour had passed, I had done some sit-ups. I had done some push-ups. I turned on my laptop and thought, okay, you know, I can still get a little bit of writing done. This is fine. And today we were shooting the same kind of thing, Christmas in April. But the difference is it was not 80 degree day today. It was 87 degrees. And that's why I was saying I felt like I understood Gino Moretto a little bit because it was hot and it was Christmas. But we were creating the illusion that it was December and it was Christmas. And so all of us had coats on and scarves on and hats on and gloves on. And they even told me and another guy to zip up our coat all the way. And yesterday I, I mentioned that it was 25, 30 extras. Today it was eight. It was eight of us. There were very, very, very few. And that meant that we got worked very, very hard. And it was really rough. It was the older man from yesterday, but his daughter did not show up. And it's because when they got home at night, his daughter had these blisters all over her feet. And she's like, Dad, I can't. I'm not going back tomorrow. And he called and said... My daughter's not going to do this. I, I hope you're okay with that. This, this guy was really cool. He was a, a, a real professional. And he looked like Ronnie Cox. Do you know what Ronnie Cox looks like? I don't know what Ronnie Cox looks like today in 2011. Are we in 2011 already? Wow, the time flies in 2021. But how Ronnie Cox looked 10, 15 years ago. I think the guy said he was 72 or 71 years old, but he looked a little older than that. 
but a very nice man, a good man. And he, at the end of the day, he gave me a diet Pepsi that he had in his cooler with ice. And it was, it was really good. It was probably the second or third diet Pepsi I've drank in my whole life. Uh, but I think I will start drinking it because it was nice. It, I, I, it did not taste chemically like I thought that diet sodas did. This episode is brought to you by Diet Pepsi. All of the taste, none of the calories. There were supposed to be 10 of us today and the daughter didn't show up and then also another guy didn't show up and the AD, which is an assistant director, he called this guy and he did it on speaker, which I think is kind of odd, but, but extras aren't people. So he called this guy on speaker and asked him where he was and that, you know, he had him down for work today. And, and the guy, I thought his explanation was really good. He said, I never heard back on my COVID test. So I assumed that meant that I, I was not working. They never called me with a, a time and they, you know, what I was supposed to wear and all that. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it was a good enough explanation that, you know, it would fly for me. And so the AD was just like, you know, well, if you can get here on the set, we, we really could use you. And the guy says, well, you still pay me, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll pay you if you can get here within an hour. And the guy says, I, I, I don't think I can get there in an hour. And so the AD is like, all right, thanks, man. And he hung up and he says, okay, there's only going to be eight of you. So it was this older man, I think he said he was 72 years old, and a, an, an older woman, thin, I, I, I don't want to say frail, but if you've ever seen the way that John Romita drew Aunt May in the Spider-Man comics, she looked like Aunt May. Like the lady that Sam Raimi hired to play Aunt May was really good, but this lady looked like she was right out of the comics. and. The guy that gave me the Diet Pepsi said she was a few years older than him. So let's say she was 75. Then there was a lady who was really loud, really boisterous. And I know I have worked with her before because she always draws attention to herself and she talks to everybody and they she asks their name and she asks what they have worked on and then she tells what she has worked on. And most of the day today, I heard her telling these stories. And a couple of the stories were familiar and I realized I had heard her tell these stories before. And maybe that's what it's like to listen to the Rish Outcast. But she had this big boisterous personality and she talked about all these people that she had worked with and she had photographs of people that she had worked with. And I remembered this from a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, whenever it was. I don't know, maybe she never had a family. I don't know. And this is, this is a big deal to her. This is life to her. Then there was me, and then everybody else was younger than me, but the youngest person was probably 24, 25. We were all adults. There were eight of us, and we were shooting out on the street, and they had built a big patch of street outside of the marquee of a movie theater. And it's a theater where Cathexis and I saw the Tommy Wiseau movie, whatever it's called. The, I did not hit there. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. That movie. They had done up the part of the parking lot as a snowy space. But instead of 
felt like they used yesterday or foam like they used yesterday, it was salt. It was hundreds of pounds of salt spread all over the cement. And I'll be darned, in the camera, in the video village, it looked like snow. They had a big awning. They had lights set up. But it was hot, really warm. And they had us in holding, which is where the extras hang out, where they congregate until they're, they're being used. For a couple of hours, I got another third of the way through the Stephen King book. So I'm almost done with it in two days. Then they led us across to the set. And I helped this older lady. I, I'm going to call her Aunt May, okay? I helped her walk with me to the set because she couldn't keep up with the others. A lot of these people had never done extra work before, and my guess is that they'll never do it again. But some of us had, and if you enjoy it, then more power to you. If you don't enjoy it, well, boy, don't do it again. But I helped this lady and we went, and then we were shuffled to the back behind this theater in the parking lot there, outside on the pavement. And there were all of these director chairs folded onto a cart. And the heat from this pavement was kind of stifling. You're just like, wow. And of course, we all had long sleeves on. Nobody had shorts or anything like that. But we were carrying our coats and our gloves and our hats and our scarves. You don't have to wear that stuff until it's absolutely necessary on a day like today. But as we sat there for a little while, one of the ladies had had knee surgery and then Aunt May was old. And so I grabbed these fold-out director's chairs and I set them up and I, I told the lady to sit and I told the, uh, the lady with the knee problem to sit and I told the guy that was around my dad's age. Now, he, he's younger than my dad, but he looked like he was my dad's age. He looked older to sit. And I said, I'll be the bad guy if they make a big deal about it. And, and, and just let me tell you, in Los Angeles, this would have been a big deal. They would have asked who did it, and I would have paid the consequences. You know me, I can never work a job without getting fired. And that definitely would have been the case today in Los Angeles. But it's not right. There were only eight of us, and there was no reason that we should have to stand in the sun with nothing to sit on. Here's another thing. Yesterday there was craft services, which is the food, the snacks that they bring to the extras, and it was all right. And then there was craft services for the crew and the cast, and it was really, really nice. It was good. But we were not supposed to go there. And in Los Angeles, you can get in trouble for going there because you're an extra. You don't, you don't get water. I've told you that. And today, all the craft service was, was they brought out two containers of bottled water, pallets of it, and set them on a table, and that was it. They were not chilled. They were not in a cooler. We had water. There was no food. There were no chips. There were no peanuts. There was nothing. So pretty soon, the AD came out, and he was just like, oh, oh, guys, 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 you, you, you can't. You can't sit in those. 
oh, I'm sorry, guys, you can't, oh, shoot. And, and the guy took the chairs and he folded them back up and he put them back on the rack that I had gotten them from. And to his credit, and this is a good man, to his credit, he didn't ask which one of you did this or why did you guys do this? He just said, oh, you're not supposed to do this. Sorry. Now it was time to go to the set. The reason he had come out was to tell us it was time to go to the set. And so we went and it was rough. On the set, we were supposed to have our coats on and zipped up and our gloves and our hats and our scarves. We weren't supposed to have sunglasses on, but the sun beating on this salt was so bright and hot and blinding that I wore my sunglasses until the last second, until they said rolling. And I was smart enough to have brought sunglasses, but other people didn't. Not smart enough. I happened to have sunglasses. Let me say that. So what we did was crosses and there were only eight of us. And so we were constantly in motion back and forth and we had to pretend that it was cold. And there were tons of people standing around and they were in shorts, they were in tank tops, they were in t-shirts. They were enjoying the summer-like weather. And a lot of them commented on what we were wearing and what we were doing. They had a foam snowman for the the principal actors were building a snowman. And what they had done was they had taken this foam snowman and then they had taken like shaved ice, like snow cone ice, and put it around the foam snowman on the face and on the body where the camera was pointing, but not on the back. So it was actually ice, <laughs> but it was melting. And we walked and, and we did this over and over again. And because there were so few of us, you know, you would just walk from one side of the set to the other, wait a couple of seconds, and then you'd walk from one side of the set to the other. And sometimes we would switch it up and it would be me walking with one person, me walking by myself, me walking with another person. But the sun was beating down. And when they said, and cut, now we're going to do a new setup, it was hot. And we all peeled off our gloves and our coats and it was peeling them off. It was hard to get them on and off. My shirt had started to stick to my chest and uh, it was uncomfortable. And so the AD asked if we could go inside the theater where at least there would be shade and there would be air conditioning. And he was told no, because that's where the actors were. It's, it's not a big deal. If it sounds like I'm making it a big deal, here's why. Aunt May started to say, I, I need to sit down. I need to sit down. And they didn't get a chair for her in time. She started to stumble and wobble. And a couple of the guys, not me, helped her sit down on the ground there, which is where I had set up the director's chairs. And she was very nice and I, I feel for her and she kept apologizing. They called for a medic. The medic came over and attended to her and he gave her something. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was smelling salts. Maybe it was, I, I have no idea. They got her some water that was, that was cold water. And the AD said, okay, you know, that's it. We're going into the theater. And one of them actually said, one of the, the, the PAs said, all oh, principals are in there. They can't go in the theater. Principal means the, the actors, the, the, the stars. 
And he says, yeah, well, it's on me. We're all going in together at the same time. I said it was okay, just follow me. And two guys, including the medic, helped Aunt May up and helped her into the theater. And gosh, the poor lady just kept apologizing. Like she was putting this out, like she was drawing attention to herself, being a prima donna or something. The poor lady, dude. Suffice it to say that she didn't come back to set. She, she was done for the day. But now, now there were just seven of us. And we went into the theater, went down the steps of the door of the theater, and then were told, you're wanted on set. So I didn't even make it in the theater. I was on the stairs when they said, you're wanted on set, and we turned around and we left. So we didn't get any air conditioning. We didn't get any rest. We didn't get to sit down. And now there were seven of us doing the crosses. And it was worse this time. And one of the ladies was complaining that she could feel the sweat running down the small of her back, just running in a stream. And um, I saw how everybody was coddling the actors. And listen, I understand. I'm a star effer, just like anybody. There was somebody that would follow around the principal actor with a little one of those portable fans that goes also makes julienne fries that kind of thing and just put it on her face the wardrobe lady she was a lovely australian well i'm assuming she was lovely she had a lovely accent and lovely hair and a nice bottom she was a wardrobe lady and she was in charge of carrying all of these winter coats around the actors and then when it was time to shoot she would put the coats on the actors and they had to wear them. And then as soon as they said cut, she would peel these coats off of the actors and she had to carry them. And you know, she's from the bush, so I guess she's used to that kind of sweltering heat. But it's not cool. She also would get to go in the theater the whole time and wait. So they had us cross and cross and cross and now there were only seven of us. And so it was just constant motion. In the past, you know, you would cross and then wait your turn and then cross again. But with this, you didn't even stop. You just turned around and then you would cross again. And they did it over and over and over again. And they were, they were doing a snowball fight scene, the actual actors. And they had these coolers filled with whatever they had made put on the snowman. Let's say that it was actual snow or fake snow. And they would scoop it up and then they would throw it at each other. And then of course it would melt because it was insanely hot. And there was a big crowd gathered round, and they were all enjoying watching this. And almost every one of them was filming this. And then there was a guy that was barefoot and in a wife beater. Uh, let's just say that he was a meth head. You know, the same as the nice older lady was Aunt May. This guy was a meth head. And he walked onto the set and he's just like, whoa, Christmas. And they're like, yeah, sir, sir, we're, we're shooting. Can you move along? And he says, you, you don't get to touch me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you don't give him any craft service either. So we did the crossing and we did it a, a lot. And then we were done, done for the day. And we walked back to holding across the street, you know, all of us were really sweaty. And I looked at my hair and my hair had all gotten crunched down from sweat. We had earned our money for the day, but we didn't get lunch. 
We didn't get anything. It was just go home. And we didn't get any craft services. And listen, if you do what my brother does for a living, which is works on power lines and your life is on the line, that is real work. And it's way worse than being an extra. But my brother is paid very, very well. And he's already talking about retiring. If you do manual labor out in the sun, that is hard work. But it just, it was not fair it, it wasn't right. The, the thing that rankled me the most was this. Oh, no, no. The principles are in the theater. It reminded me of Lauren Graham. It reminded me of a certain actress that wouldn't sit with the rest of the crew or with the extras on, on the, the set of her TV show. And it just, it's too bad. This AD who had been very nice to us, you know, he had been told one thing and he decided to do something else. Better late than never, but I wish that he had done it from the get-go, said, you know, I'm going to work my way up, you know, I'm going to be an an assistant director, and then one day I'm going to be a director when I get in the union, and I'm not going to let you guys be treated that way when it's my set, which was cool, which was nice to hear. I've been speaking for over an hour, and I, I, I should come up with something fun here at the end that I tell you to put a happy spin on it. Because for the most part, most of the time, I enjoy being an extra. I enjoy show business. I get a sense of wonder and excitement as soon as they say, action! And if you've ever been on a set, they say action multiple times throughout the day. 20, 30, if it's a David Fincher production, 80, 90, 100, 150, 200 times in a day. And I always get just this surge of adrenaline, this sense that I'm part of something, that I'm part of a team, that the magic is happening. Not everybody feels that way. I get that. There's the guy that I told you about on the Super Bowl commercial where he said, if I had known that they were going to pay us to pretend to clap, I would not have shown up today, which just is so ludicrous. I mean, it's it's like saying, if I had known that we'd be eating filet mignon and caviar, I would not have deigned to show up today. Maybe it's not. But I enjoy it. And I've had such good times in the past and times that weren't so good in the past. And one of the hardest times that I ever had Harder even than today was I worked on a TV series that had a flashback to World War II. And it was a USO dance where all of the servicemen were dancing with women in 40s period dresses and big band music was playing. And we were in authentic wool uniforms. And it was so itchy and hot and stifling and gross that I felt like I was going out of my skin. I felt like I, I was a junkie. And all the methadone had run out. It was so bad. I've had a few days like that, that were bad. I remember on the set of a movie where I was playing a SWAT team guy. We were all loaded into the back of a, a truck. And what would happen is the truck would come to a halt, the back would be opened, and all of us would jump out 
you know, with our rifles and we'd go running. We were a SWAT team. Uh, but by the fifth or sixth time of jumping out of the truck onto the cement, my ankles and my shins were really, really hurting. So, so that was pretty bad. I worked two different projects with Bijou Phillips. So, you know, that was pretty bad. But it, it, it's just, you have good times on sets and then you have bad times on sets. And I don't consider this the worst time. It was still fun yesterday. Almost all of yesterday was fun, even though I got sunburned. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror now, and I'm much more sunburned today, darn it. I'm going to have to put some aloe vera all over my nose and my forehead. But it's showbiz. And there are people who will kill to get into showbiz. There are people who have to go through a lot more for their big break. Uh, and mine never came. Oh, well. It doesn't come for most people. But I, I'm going to continue to do it. And I would like this casting agent that got me the work today and yesterday to remember my name or my face and say, oh, I liked this guy. He was a professional or he, you know, he was tired and he said he'd come to work anyway so that I can get more work from it. The best thing is when they ask you. I imagine it's like a date. The best thing is when they ask you. And hopefully I will get more work. Maybe I'll even work on this show again. After all, I, I shaved. I might as well stay clean shaven until the film wraps. But if you enjoy me talking about these things, I, I've got a hundred stories and I would be happy to tell them to you. So take care. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you in December when this movie airs. And uh, this has been Rish Outfield. Good night. The Rish Outcast was produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 license which makes it free to listen to, share, and poke fun at. But the podcast cannot be altered or sold. If you didn't completely despise this episode, why don't you support the show with our Patreon fund over at patreon.com? Your Patreon pledge could very well save Rish Outfield. And who's going to come to save you, Junior? Save your tears for another day. Welcome, this is Rish Outfield. And you are listening to the Patreon address for May. Probably my third favorite month of the year. May 2021. And I have no idea if it's my third favorite year. Probably not. Gosh, why didn't I do this as like a, an episode? Just an episode of the podcast because I could talk for an hour and you guys could get like a little bonus bit. Fudge, I wonder if I dare. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna turn this into an episode. So let me start over. <laughs>